Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Bienvenidos al episodio 141 de Latino Founder Hour. Los saluda Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica desde Portland, Oregon. Y hoy tengo el placer de una invitada muy especial a la cual he seguido por ya varios años, Irma Holguín, fundadora y, y co-CEO de Bidwise. Irma, how are you doing? ¿Cómo estás? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. How are you this morning? Doing great. Uh, and, and are you still in Fresno? I'm in But Fresno, California. That's right. It's foggy today. It's foggy. Well, uh, I think Portland here is just rainy. Uh, same, same forecast for the next couple of months. So cold, right. wet, and, and miserable. But hey, you know, we're um, we're healthy. You know, first of yes. all, you know, quick announcement. Excited that we got the vaccines here in Oregon yesterday. Yes. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is that we still need to, to stay, stay home, you know. For a while, it looks like. Yeah, it's going to be the rollout is going to take some time. But I think we're all excited about the miracle of science and the way that we have arrived at at this day so quickly, right? I mean, it's just a, it's a yeah. huge, huge deal. We're, we are living through history. It is. You're, you're exactly right. This is history. And for the people that are still trying to like, well, is this real? Like, well, it is pretty real. I mean, it's it, pretty it, real. It, now, now, now I think we, we know every family that's been affected by this. So just be careful out there. Just, you know, precaution, not only for you, but, but for everyone around you. You know, yes. we, we need to do this together. But Irma, I'm super excited because I've been, again, like I told you during the previous, we've been following your work. We're very passionate of what you do. And uh, how, how do we clone you? <laughs> I think the hope is not to clone me, right? That's the point of the work is to find a way that folks have opportunity that we don't need to clone me. And, and there are um, plenty of folks running around doing this work because they have the chance to do the work. Right. Well, just tell, tell us a little bit about your story. You're a Fresno native and, and Fresno, for the people that don't know, it's, um, you know, it has a large Mexican population. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a large city. I mean, I, I, I've been in Fresno, but even before that, I didn't think it was as uh, Fresno's a large city. I thought it was just a, a small town and it's not, it's, it's actually a, it's, it's a big city, but mostly agricultural. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, it, when you picture California, this is, Is not the California people picture, right? This is not the image you create for yourself if you think about um, the Golden State. So, you know, you've got your coastal cities and you've got your sort of the famous ones, the primary markets, um, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. Uh, but then you've got the rest of the state. Honestly, and it's, it's like I said, not what people picture. We're talking about huge, huge swaths of agriculture land. Um, and what a lot of people don't know is that the middle of the state, the Central Valley or mm -hmm. the San Joaquin Valley, um, is responsible for producing between 20 and 30 percent of the world's food. This is the a world. massive mass. That's right. We export 20 to 30 percent of the world's food. It's a massive undertaking. This is a massive industry. And the towns there in the middle of the state were built on that industry. So what you've got now as a result is essentially modern day feudalism. Right. You've got very, yeah. very few folks who really benefit from 
uh, that industry and own the land and manage the land. And then you've got thousands and thousands of bodies, mostly Latino, who work the land, who are the labor that fuels that industry. And that's the story that I come from. My family um, migrated here to follow the crops as a lot of families did. And um, my grandparents, my parents, and everybody that I knew, they worked in the fields from the time they were small until they couldn't any longer. And um, that's the story of most of the of the folks who grew up in these rural towns, as I did, like you said a moment ago, large, large Latinx, Latino population, very, very yeah. large. I think we are um, greater than 50% of the human population in the Central Valley. And um, and so that, that creates, what that creates is this sort of system, right? If you want to think of it that way, where you've got all of these human bodies, mostly of one color, right? Who, yeah. Whose lives are essentially predetermined to be this, to do farm labor, to work with their bodies most of their lives. And, um, and the things that you don't see for yourself, for example, you know, I mean, that was, that's my story. You don't see things like going to college or starting a company or raising money or, buying a building and on and on. You don't see those things for yourself. And if you can't dream it, like, you know, you'll never reach for it. No, um, of course, if it doesn't exist, how can you dream it? First of all, exactly. if, if, if you don't know about it, you, you can't dream things that don't exist. Exactly. So, and so that's the story of, of Fresno, California and of the central Valley and that you've got all of these folks, you know, 50% of our population in Fresno is like under 30 years old. Oh, and wow. So it's a young, vibrant city. It's very young and it's and it's big, but you've got a lot of folks who are not willing or haven't been exposed to a larger dream. And um, and if you are dreaming, if you are thinking about what might be next for you and how to maybe change the circumstances of your life, you're almost always thinking of going somewhere else, right? How do I make it to one of those primary markets? How do I make it to a coastal city? And that's what we set out to change was was really that. I mean, I the, as the story goes, I accidentally went to college, which is, again, not part of the vision for my own life. And then I accidentally became a computer engineer. And that industry, the technology industry, changed my existence. Um, it really, really did. And, and it, was there like an influential figure early on for you that that that, that, that pushed you towards, hey, you know, you, you got to go this way? Or how did that happen? I mean, yeah. you, you as, a, as a child... Yeah, I mean, it really was an accident. I'm not kidding when I say that that it wasn't it wasn't like some grand design. And I think I feel like that's an important part of my life story when I tell it is that um, it's not like I started at six or eight years old wanting to reach for the stars. No, I really was reaching for what everyone else reached for around me, which is really more of the same or potentially even retail work or management and retail work was the highest and best you could do yeah. like that was the dream you know what i mean um, and no shade on that like that's a big deal no absolutely but that's your that's what you see for yourself right like your goal is to be able to pay all of your bills in the same month your goal is not going to get a fancy college degree and then you know in my case starting a company or several companies and so like i said i accidentally ended up in in college i i was literally i was 15 years old And there was an announcement over the PA speaker at my high school that the PSAT was being held in the cafeteria. I didn't know what the PSAT meant. I didn't know what the, the test was, uh, but I was 15 and I understood that I could get out of class for half a day. Um, so I, <laughs> so so I like did what sold. any 15 yeah. year old would do, that's right. <laughs> and I went, I went to the cafeteria, I took the test and that changed my life. That sort of happy 
serendipitous accident changed my life in that marketing mail from colleges started started to show up at my house. And now we're talking about these really beautiful, like full color, glossy catalogs from colleges whose mascots I recognize from sports teams, right? Yeah. Asking me for the first time, Irma, do you want to go to college? You know, and um, and so it was one of those moments in your life when you realize that you have been really not looking at the whole world, right? You're not looking at opportunity in front of you, really just paying attention to what's there. And um, that, that those marketing pieces really did, they did their job. They opened my eyes to a question of, should I be one of those, one of those young people in a backpack walking across the fall campus on the cover of this catalog? Should that be my life? And, um, you know, as you know, college and its expenses out of reach for, folks who grow up a specific way. That was, that was me too. I, I, you know, you flip to the pricing page and you realize that. Like, Oh yeah. yeah. First you you see the dream and then like, Oh, right. Yeah. Still for other people. Right. And, um, but the mail kept coming. And one day I received a scholarship offer. I actually received a couple and I thought it was a scam. Like I thought it was actual junk mail, you know, dear Irma, do you want to come to school for us? There's a scholarship for you based on your qualifications. And I had to call the school and be like, I don't, I'm not sure if this is real, but somebody's sending out junk in your name. And And they're like, no, 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 it's real. Yeah. It's real. We sent it. We sent it. And all you have to do is show up. And I was like, what do you mean? All I have to do is show up. So, you know, you take that, you're young. What am I? 16 years old. You take that news to your parents and you're like, I think I need to go to college. And, and your parents who, have struggled all of their lives, right? And who have, you know, always, you know, held down two jobs each and who are always just trying to make it work for their kids. They have the miserable job now of having to look back across the table at their kid and be like, yeah, but how are you going to get there? Right? Like, how are how are you? Yeah. We don't have a working car that's going to get you across the country. What do you, you know, that we don't have money for a plane ticket. That's still for other people. And so it was literally it was literally the bus ticket that was going to be standing between me and a, a college and degree. an education. That's right. And you went to Ohio and Toledo. I did. I, did. I ended up. So it so, was a, yeah. So you literally had to cross the country by bus. All the way across the country. Didn't know anybody. Yeah, we recycled cans and bottles all summer long, and then collected enough change. And that change turned into a bus ticket and I rode Greyhound from Fresno to Toledo, Ohio. Uh, it's 2,500 miles. It's like a four day ride. Oh my and, um, goodness. and that was, that was how I ended up at college, you know, and again, not some master plan, not a great design that I had when I was young, but kind of fell into it serendipitously that um, led me to these moments where I could take advantage of an opportunity that was almost just passing in front of me. And it was like, if I can reach out and hold on to it, yeah and hold on really really hard it'll take it it'll take me with it you know and that was wow. that was sort of the story of going to college and you know the cho- choosing of my major was also similarly serendipitous like I really had no idea how college worked and so when they asked me to choose a major I flipped through that same catalog and I chose literally the building that was the shiniest because it was made out of glass. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, I'm 17 years old. I'm across the country. I don't know anybody. I haven't heard a word of Spanish since I got off the bus, you know? Yeah. And I, I choose the glass building because I think that, you know, at 17 years old, it would be really cool to take classes in a glass building. And that turned out to be 
the College of Engineering. And that's not career advice. Like, I'm not saying to people, you should choose your major. <laughs> the shinier thing. Is. <laughs> that's right. No, but, but again, illustrative of this, like these serendipitous moments that really changed the, tra- the trajectory of my life and um, ending up in the technology industry in that very first job when I was already, ma- I was at the bottom of the totem pole and already making more money than I'd ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? And yeah. in that first, you know, couple of weeks when my colleagues want to order a pizza and they come to collect the dollars and I happen to have a 20 in my pocket and I tell the guy to keep the change. Like, you know, when have you ever in your existence told somebody to keep the change when you grow up that way? That's not real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah, the technology industry changed my existence. But when you look back over that story and if you ask yourself, how do you really change the world? Like, how do you how do you really change the face of the technology industry such that it's a more equitable and just world that we can all live in waiting for my story to happen again and again, ain't it right? That is not the answer waiting for those serendipitous moments. It's not scalable. It's not scalable and it's just not a good plan. (laughs) It's just not a good plan. And that's really, you know, fast forward a few years that's really how I ended up doing what we do today. What Bitwise, my company does today is taking that life experience that I just described and deconstructing it and saying what went right, what went wrong, and how can we really build systems that give more people who grow up this way yeah. an opportunity to skill themselves into those moments when you get to tell someone else to keep the change. Like, How do you create more of those moments in people's lives? And, um, and that's what Bitwise does. Like that, that is what we set out to do is to fix a city using the technology industry for people like me. Well, and, and that's fantastic. And, and now how do we take that to a, a global scale? Because again, you, you were talking about offline before the, the, the show started. And I'm like, we've been trying to do this, the same important. Like how do we do it? You know, keeping in mind that we have our own jobs, but we, we want to see this happen and being able to be replicated over and over again. How do we bring what? this to, pool of talent? Yeah, I think I think a couple of things like you you really so we created a system. It's a it's a almost you can think of it as a starter pack, right, for mm-hmm. technology industry in what we call underdog cities. And so you take a starter pack and you set it down in these places. Um, and, and when I say these places, underdog cities, that to us that's where you don't expect to find the technology industry. It's not primary markets. These are places that are traditionally overlooked by even their own state's government. Mm-hmm. Um, and you set down this starter pack in these places and that starter pack is really meant to not just ignite the technology industry, but to invite to it folks who typically don't receive that invitation. So we're talking about, um, you know, underrepresented populations. We're talking about uh, folks who are coming from a story of poverty. We're talking about the incarceration or Mm -hmm. uh, reentry population. We're talking about veterans. Again, these are folks who, don't often re- receive an invitation. The, like the world is not inviting everyone to come play in the most exciting segments of our economy. And so our our system really does reach out and, and accept, extend that invitation. And then importantly, provides an actual pathway to get there, right? Technology education that's really specifically designed for folks who are coming from these stories, not not the traditional educational system that really is waiting for you to stumble into it or to- Correct get into debt or to sort of have the good fortune to be able to afford it, but that's really designed for you. And then 
that sense of place, like where do you go? If you are in Bakersfield, California, right? Yeah. If you're in Merced, California, if you're in Fresno, California, where do you go to find the technology industry? Where, you don't have to ask yourself that question if you're in the Silicon Valley, right? Correct. Yeah. You know where to go? That's <laughs> yeah. look around, right? But when you're in one of these underdog cities, it's not immediate, immediately clear to the young or the ambitious where you physically go to meet people who are interested in the same thing, to take classes, to hang out with entrepreneurs, to on and on, the things that really create a technology community. These underdog cities often are lacking that flag in the ground, that place that you go, you walk in the door, and this is where you find it. And so we build those places. That's one of the pieces of the starter pack is to literally buy blighted buildings, rehab them, lease them back out to the technology industry so that young and ambitious folks can find you know they literally can find it have a dot on a map where they can take their feet uh walk through the door and experience what it's like to be in a technology community and, and, and then and, the last thing i think is just proof it's just the actual work itself how do you get a job in this place right yeah no and and, and you touched on an important point because you know doing some actions here in the past we 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 saw that we were bringing um latinx kids you know from outside of the city of portland you know from the from the suburbs hillsborough gresham you know where the you know where most of the Latin, our population lives and just to to our point they they don't understand that they can be sitting and, and that this is a career path for them because when one once they go inside a um, a tech company all they see is not them basically right. They don't see the that's representation. Right. They may see, you know, just one brown face and one black, and that's it. They're, they're, that's so, right. so like, well, this is not for me. This, this looks really fancy and all. So it looks intimidating. So like, huh, how do we, um, first of all, how do we change that? You know, it's, yeah. you know, we're visual yeah. people. Like you said, hey, I want to work in the shiny building. But if you, yeah. you know, for some, some, for some of those kids, if they come to that shiny, you know, crystal building, Glassman, and they see all oh, like, well, this is not my people. I don't, I don't right. see myself without you first taking that, that, that taking that first step. That's like, right. So how do we change that narrative? That's exactly right. Well, by by actually changing the circumstances, right? So I think you're you're touching on something that's really important, which is when when a person walks into a place, it doesn't matter what we're talking about: coffee shop, restaurant, party, boardroom speech doesn't matter when a, when a person walks into a place it is natural and it is a survival instinct to essentially figure out if this place poses a danger to you or if it's for built for you at all I see. right yeah and and so if you're walking into the lobby of a, of a building you're going to notice things whether it's conscious or not mm -hmm. you're going to notice what music is on you're going to oh, notice yeah. who's greeting you at the desk You're going to notice whether or not, like you said, you see faces that look like yours or don't. You're going to pick up all of this subtle information and you're going to make a determination pretty quickly about whether or not you belong there or whether or not you feel comfortable there. Yeah. And that comfort level really does determine whether or not you choose to stay or choose to engage with whatever's being offered in that place, classes or community or events or what have you. And You can, you can see this play out again and again and again, right? There are just places even in your own life that you can picture right now where you think to yourself, I'm, that's me, that's my people, I'm comfortable there yeah. versus this other place over here, I'm in and out of here as fast as I can get it, right? Ya cumplí, ya me voy. That's right, that's right, exactly right. And, and I think when we build our spaces, that's an important piece to us is what does it feel like when you walk in the doors? 
And what is what are the subtle signals that are being sent to folks who who are asking themselves again, consciously or not, whether or not they belong there? And so for us, you know, our tagline is no one belongs here more than you. And we take that into everything that we do, the way we design our buildings, the people who teach our classes, the, the person who greets you at the front desk, like all of those things go into that recipe of, of when you're evaluating whether or not you want to spend time in a place or spend time in a community, you should be receiving the signal that you belong there. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we can begin to change this, the culture around the technology industry is by literally making it more welcoming for folks who have not received that invitation before. Um, it's hard work and it's very, very intentional work, but it is also the very first, it's the tip of the iceberg, right? And the rest Absolutely. of it really does come down to opportunity and education and all of these other things that those are ingredients too. But when you walk in the door, you have to feel that you, that you have just as much right to be there as anybody else. And that's step one for us. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. Again, we saw it, you know, bringing a, um, a tour of little high school kids to a technology company that was, it's actually our angel investor, mm -hmm. uh, our first investor. And once they opened the, the doors, you imagine this beautiful offices and super cool techie, but they, and we saw their first reaction was like, whoa, am I supposed to even go in? Like, yes, come in, welcome. You know, I'm, 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 but why? Because the perception. What the company did, you know, a couple of years later, is like, you know, working under uh, a diversity and inclusion efforts, and that was a drastic change. Once you see people, oh, I see Cesar, I, I see Romero, like, mm -hmm. oh, I see myself now in that desk. It's, a, it's, yes. a, and, and it's all visual, and like small changes, but it took, yeah, it was super hard work. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, on the other side, it's like, well, how do I get more people like Cesar? How do I get more people like Irma? Because there's, you know, there's very limited, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's it, it's all the way down to the details too, right? Because it's representation matters. Who you see at the desk or at the front of the room matters. Yeah. Whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm brown. And so when I speak to brown communities, it resonates. But if I send my co-CEO... Who's, who's a six foot tall white man, it doesn't resonate the same way. You know what I mean? Yes, and he's absolutely. a perfectly nice man. <laughs> yeah. but, but it doesn't resonate because again, like you said, you're not seeing yourself. But something that we have noticed over time is, is you know, it's not, it's not just that. It's also the cultural elements that you weave into, mm -hmm. you know, here's a very small example. When we opened our first building, excuse me, I was actually our second building. It's a 50,000 square foot building in downtown Fresno. It's called Bitwise South Stadium. We got a lot of requests and sort of um, uh, pressure, I guess, to create an entirely uh, um, cashless system, right? So okay. to be able to interact with our coffee shop or the UPS store or the vending machines or whatever, our community was asking, and by community, I mean the larger community in the city, was asking whether or not we were going to do things like have an app that helps you navigate, you know, that place. I mean, a lot of the larger technology companies, yeah. you badge your way into places mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. And we were getting a lot of pressure for that, but it made us realize like that's, you're excluding a bunch of the community if you don't let people pay for things with cash, right? Or pay for things with, um, uh, a debit card and, and suddenly you have like this disconnect now between the people that you want to serve and the people who are actually there with that one small move and, and those types of things you, you have to, as a business owner, you, you have to make that decision over and over and over again about how and in what ways you're going to be inclusive in that community. 
correct. No, no, no. And, and, and that, you know, had a couple of questions like, well, one, you know, related to the pandemic, how has affected, but I want to go from the beginning. You guys, uh, I mean, you've been featuring Forbes and CNN. Uh, how do you start Bitwise? I mean, how do you fund the, the very beginning? <laughs> we, we uh, my co-founder and I, uh, and there was, we had a couple of us at the beginning, there were three of us, we just cashed in everything we had, you know, like I refinanced my car and, you know, he, 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 he's an attorney or was an attorney. And so he took, you know, his life savings and uh, we had a guy who sort of had a building, but it wasn't really being used. And so there was, you know, <laughs> it was this empty blinded yeah. building, you know, we literally just took everything that we had and pushed it to the middle and said, we're going to bet, we're going to bet everything on this one. And, um, and that's what we did. It was just like this um, leap of faith, but it's one of those things where, you know, this is what you need to be doing. You know, okay. this is how we need to spend our time. That was the very, very beginning. We bootstrapped for a solid five years, I think five years. Oh, wow. Okay. And, but you have to, I mean, Think about this too, you know, in, in Fresno, when you start something like this, you have so much sort of negative pressure, right? Folks asking, why, why are you trying to make the technology industry work in this place? Why don't you just go to the Bay Area? The technology industry is never going to work in a place like Fresno and on and on. And on. You're never going to find the talent yeah. that you need, right? And so you have so much of that. So when you're bootstrapping and you're giving everything you got to this thing that everyone is telling you won't work, <laughs> you know, eventually you meet this moment when it does work and you can't really dispute it anymore. It's like very, uh, this is happening now. You can't stop it, you know, and you're in yeah. the paper and people are taking your classes and your buildings are full and people are getting jobs and the momentum starts to build. That was the moment for us, right? When it was like, this is undeniably working five years into it. And people are starting to come to us and tell us that it's working, right? Hey, that thing that you started a few years ago, good idea. <laughs> yeah. Know, oh, like oh, okay. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that now, friends. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it was at that moment when we realized we had to, because, you know, Jake, my co founder, and I, um, we never wanted to go anywhere else. Fresno is our hometown, both from very, very different stories. I'm from the South and West in a rural farming town. He's from the North and East, white, affluent, you know, neighborhood, like very different life stories, different sides of the tracks, right? And, but we both have this heart and love for this place that we grew up and we weren't trying to go anywhere else, but yeah. when it started working, you know, when we started collecting those success stories and you started to see not just one or two, but now dozens and a couple hundred folks getting jobs. And you could tell by the way that like they stopped driving that jalopy beater and now they were driving some like, you know, like reliable little like get go, you know, little, yeah. Just, it was going to get you from here to there without losing a tire. You could see the changes, you know what I mean? And the stuff that people were driving, it was like, man, like we're on to something, you know, we're at, we're at like several hundred new jobs now in the technology oh, wow. industry in downtown Fresno, where nobody thought it would work except for these two crazy kids, you know? And, and so we had to ask ourselves like, what's next? Like, is it, are we going to go super deep here or do we have a responsibility to the world to figure out whether or not this model works in other places? Because again, the middle of California is huge. You know, it's huge. Yeah. And Fresno is a metropolis in the middle of that, but there are a couple of others there too. And so we had to ask ourselves, does what we're doing here apply to these other places? 
And can you successfully take this model, this starter pack, and place it in these other places and ignite the technology industry in those places such that it provides opportunity to folks who are excluded from it today? Yeah. That was the question we had to ask ourselves. And then when we realized that Bakersfield, Merced, West Oakland, you know, these places in California were all a fit, then we had to figure out how to pay for that. And that's when we started raising money. And that's when we, you know, in 2019, we closed a, a very large series A. It was a record breaking series A specifically with the specific purpose of taking what has been working in Fresno and, and moving it to other places inside of California and expanding what we're doing. And now, now we're in four cities inside of California and it's going way better than we thought it would. No, that's fantastic. No, I, and I saw that because they're the same people that uh, let's give them a shout out. K Port Capital. Yes, they're the ones yes. that made that they sponsor us here to for the Startup Week and Latinx edition every year. So thank you, Lily Gangas, <laughs> for the, the phenomenal, the most wonderful people on the planet, salt of the earth. Yes. yes. So because with without them, uh, without you know their funds or their contributions, things like Bitwise, you know the, the little thing that we do every year here in Portland would not be it would not be possible. Quite frankly, um, yeah. we so shout out to them. They're a phenomenal yes. team. They're very accessible, and congratulations. I, I saw what the big round is. It's it, it, and it is outstanding. I mean, you should be, I mean, commended for that. It's just a huge number. Uh, it's yeah. it's yeah. phenomenal. And, and again, $27 million, that's, more than I ever thought I'd see in my life, in my life, but, well, but to share. Exactly. That's the, right. That's the point. And of course, to, to make it grow. Yeah, yes. to make an impact. And now, you know, this is 2019. Things are moving along. Um, here we are, 2020. Your business model is, you know, physical places, you know, get people together. Something that we also, by the way, we had already packaged here in a smaller scale. You know, like I said, um, we were working with a um, an incubator. They were they were already giving us a small space. Like get your get get, get some physical space for the land next people to 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 be here to to become a a little community. So you know we you know bring new entrepreneurs, new startups, or bring bring people to the tech world. And then here we are. Here we are. March, March is you know the you know. So so where are you guys at? How yeah. this pandemic affected you? Well, I'll be honest with you, our, our <laughs> much like so many folks, you know, COVID-19 happens, the news starts rolling out, and you realize that everything is about to change. Mm -hmm. Overnight, 60% of our business stopped working. Because like you said, we're so community-oriented, so yeah. in-person focused. And um, that vibe that you get when you get to share that with other people, whether it's you're new to the industry and you're trying to figure out how it works, that community matters. Or if you just, if you just broke into the industry and now you've got a new set of pals who are going to help you navigate that, that community matters. Um, or yeah. if you're in your job and, uh, or you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to figure out how your business works, that community matters. And so, like I said, 60% of that just went away overnight. We were doing 40 events in our buildings every week just oh, to wow. keep Cause it was just so bustling and so, you know, so much going on and most of it free, like yeah. importantly, most of it free. And, and I think, you know, the pandemic hit, in fact, we were very early in our decision-making. Um, I remember going to, to my co-founder and we have a, a president to, so to my counterparts. And um, I remember saying to myself, like, you guys, I think that this is the math doesn't look good. 
you know, if you're, if, and in fact, if there is an exponential transfer of this virus, this is super early. This is in February. Yeah. Uh, and I, I said, like, we got to send everybody home. This is way before any of those shelter in place orders or yeah. uh, stay at home orders went out. And, and I remember telling them, I said, by March 10th, if we're still doubling every day in the number of cases, we're making the decision to go home, which was like a full, like four days, I think, before the state of California issued their order. And, um, and so we did, we, we sent everybody home and we were early in that. And, and, and when we told everybody, we said, you know, think of it, this as a couple of weeks for the moment so that you can adjust to like being comfortable in your house. But the truth is we have no idea how long this is going to go on. And we have no idea what we're going to ask you to do tomorrow when we figure out what our business looks like now in this new, this, this, in this pandemic. And we had to pivot really hard. Right. All yeah. of those events went away. All of our front desk people went away. Anybody who had a physical job on site, all of that went away. But some things were really important to us. We had just raised this round of funding. We didn't want to let anyone go. It didn't that like goes against our ethos. It was like, yeah, yes, the the world has changed and the economy is different, but like you're still the people we hired and we're gonna figure out how to make that work. And so we kept, we were able to keep everybody on our roster. In fact, we've grown by 70 count, I think. Since, oh, wow. That's since, amazing. It's huge. It, I mean, it's yes. huge for us. And, um, but we were, you know, sitting around, my co-founder and I were texting one afternoon. This is like the weekend after the shelter in place order. And we realized, of course, that everybody's freaking out. And this is the moment in time when everybody's panic buying toilet paper. And, you know, yeah. then, right? And um, we're texting and we're like, don't we have a responsibility to the community here? Like, don't we have, um, don't, shouldn't we use our position in this community and the communities that we serve to really help? And so we stood up a grocery delivery program overnight. And, the, and I'm not exaggerating when I say overnight, like literally the next day we were delivering boxes. And uh, it was anybody, we put out this call that anybody uh, who is elderly or immunocompromised could uh, request a grocery box and we would deliver it to them so that they wouldn't need to leave their homes to um, have whatever they were going to need for, for the duration of this pandemic. Yeah. And that became our take care program. We built a piece of software to help route the boxes. It oh, turned wow. into... It turned into this like simple social media post and exploded. I mean, absolutely exploded and um, built a piece of software that helped do this. And now that piece of software is being adopted by food banks and by um, uh, disaster response organizations around the country. We'll have by the end of the year have delivered over a million meals to eight counties in the middle of California. Holy smokes. Bravo. Hang on. Applause. I mean, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, but it was, I think importantly though, what I'm trying to get at is that bitwise and the heart and the mission and the soul of what we do didn't change. The world changed. Yeah. And so how you respond to that has to change, but who you are during this time likely has not changed as a company. Correct. Right. And, and we were able to hold on to that, which feels like a victory to us. And then we went on to do, so we did the meals uh, and take care. We, we have this portfolio company that um, is white label mobile ordering for re restaurants and we made mm -hmm. it free because all these restaurants were pivoting to take out and to go only models and they didn't have a way to facilitate that. We have an app that does literally that. 
And so we just oh, made it free. Is that something that we can help because here in the state of Oregon, because, you know, we're going through the same thing, you know, our, our people are the, the ones that are getting most affected. And we're means. doing a sprint this month to get, you know, what we call bridge the technology gap. You know, we're just to let you, this month through the state of Oregon, this, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, we're building a hundred websites for free for a hundred businesses. Wow, that's just amazing. Just in, in, in less, actually it's less than a month because we started la last week. That's so amazing. our goal is just to build a hundred websites. We're like uh, 35%, <laughs> 35 pages. And, you know, ho with, the, with the hope that next year, if there's, you know, more cash relief uh, funds, we can do a thousand or whatever. I mean, we, we all we want to just just bring all wow. these companies or mom and pop to the 21st century why because right now they don't exist uh, those folks that you're describing those are the, exactly the ones who are in need because they don't have the resources to stand up a website overnight right or yeah. to get an app out the door in in 30 days right that's just not it's not the world we live in right and so being able Correct. to do what you're doing that's wonderful wonderful yeah. work well right? and, and my just, hat is off to you and, and and we would thank you, but we, we you know I personally been talking to uh, a lot of these folks, and, and like at the beginning of our conversation, they don't know this world exists. Yes. So like they think you know, and and the way we explain it, like look, it's like if you were not on the yellow pages twenty five years ago, you didn't exist for business. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a landing page, if you don't, if you can't transact, you know, you 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 know, you're missing out, uh, yes. and that's why you know. You know, through the government, you know, the, you know, through grants. This is, you know, how we can help crank out just something so you're visible, so you can reach out more people, and you can actually get get more orders. But yeah, I mean, we'd love to connect after and see, you know, what the app isn't just like distributed because yeah, seriously, we talk to a lot of folks every day, and they're just like, I mean, they're just clinging. I mean, it's yeah. you know, due to the latest restrictions here in Oregon that we were um, mandated to stay home again. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of our, our racing cases and and, and, and and just the constraints. So we want to give them that tool, but not only to survive right now, to thrive. Because yes. this is a tool that is not just temporary. This is going to help you survive, ride this wave. But once we come out of this, this is this is going to be the standard. So you need to have it right now. That's exactly right. And, and I think that's another thing that it's a really important point that you're making. Um, and I feel like we're not talking about this enough, right? In our, not just our community, but in any, any of the sort of business and recovery sort of conversation is that the moves that we're making today, the way that we're able to help our neighbor today, right? The way that we're able yeah. to participate in our community today, that is the future we're signing up for. Right. Mm -hmm. That is the recovery that we're signing up for. You can begin to see the threads of what the world is going to look like already. If you're looking yeah. hard enough and the folks who are doing the stuff that you're doing, um, my team, who I think is easily the best team on the planet. Like these are the folks who are really setting the tone, I feel, for what a recovery can and should look like. That is more just, is more equitable, is more inclusive. Yeah. Right. Um, and then on the other side of that coin you see folks who are simply not interested in any Absolutely. of those things, right? And that feels very loud to me right now. We're signing up oh, yeah. for our future right now. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Like uh, silence is louder sometimes than words and actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. No, I absolutely right. agree. And well, Irma, so you being an, a female founder, how has this been, you know, what, what has been the greatest challenge for you? A female underrepresented, 
and uh, uh, be be BP. I forgot the acronym, but BIPOC, you know, I'm, yeah, BIPOC, BIPOC, mm-hmm. and and I'm proud father of a BIPOC uh, daughter. So, so how 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 has that been? You know, what's been the most challenging part for of that trajectory for you? Yeah, well, you know, it, the the hardship is in the rearview mirror. If I'm being honest, because I think mm-hmm. any any entrepreneur. Um, anyone who starts something yourself and the folks that you know in your community, you have to believe something that's different than what everyone else believes, right? You have to be a little bit delusional in that way and that <laughs> you feel like you can create something that doesn't exist. And in spite of what other people might have to say about it, you still have this belief. And I don't know, I can't tell you if I'm being honest, if that's a result of being a woman in the technology industry, or Mm -hmm. that's from being Latina, or that's from being, you know, um, bisexual or part of the LGBTQ community. I don't know. I can't tell you which of the hardships informed that for me, but all entrepreneurs, I feel have this in common that you believe something that other people don't see yet. And I, I view that as a strength. So, you know, we can, we can talk about how that's been a disadvantage over time. Any of the things that I just described being, you know, Latina, being LGBTQ, being, you know, um, uh, a female in technology, any of those things, you can make the argument that it works against me. And I, and it's true. It's objectively true that it's hard. Um, but that same hardship, you know, as the saying goes, a little hardship goes a long way. That very same hardship is in fact what drives me to to grab a hold of the things that are in front of me and to make the most of them. And so I think that that turns into my strength. A superpower. Yeah. It's my superpower. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. So taking that same thing that you might, you might sit and lament it, or you might twist it to your advantage. I'm going to spend my energy twisting it. That's just me. That's just what I'm made out of. I love it. I love it. And, and that's again, how, how do we clone it? We, I, we haven't answered that question yet. How do we clone you? <laughs> That's, be, that's like, probably a different startup, you know. So for someone, to, like, how do we take one of Irma's strand, hair strands and, and just like clone <laughs> into, into multiple and then, yeah. If we do this well, we won't need to clone. We will just need to keep giving, right? We'll just need to uh, provide more and more opportunity to more and more people until they are doing it. They're doing the hard work. No, that's fantastic. Are you guys thinking about going global eventually or just nationwide? Yeah, you know, we're, we're for sure going to expand eastward across the United States. Um, and, and we were very close on the heels of closing our Series A. We raised a Series B also because we took a three-month plan and condensed it and accomplished it really in, in 12 months. Um, okay. And the other saying, as it goes, is never waste the pandemic, right? The pandemic really yeah. did accelerate so many things, including my own business. Um, and so we were able to accomplish that 36 month plan in 12 months raised wow. series B with the intention of going across the United States. I think we need to figure out if we're good at that first, you know, inside yeah. of California, if you can get there in a day, um, it feels very doable, but once we're expanded out to, you know, somewhere on the East or in the Midwest, uh, that's that those connection points, even in this digital world are, are, are increasingly harder. And one of the, very, very best things we do are the people who work for us, serving the people who work for us. We want to make sure we do that well. We want to make sure that we can, in fact, have these very distant remote offices and keep the culture that we've built, this no one belongs here more than you mantra. We want to make sure that we can retain that before we decide anything larger than that or beyond the United States borders. We just 
You let just me, don't want to be bad at that. Let, let, don't forget about the great North. That's right. Just in that. That's right. Because you, you will see a lot of similarities. And uh, I mean, economy wise, you know, yeah. Oregon is an agricultural economy. The power is just, you know, our people. So outside of the city of Portland, which is the Silicon, what are they called? Silicon forest. Yeah. Uh, but again, very homogeneous group. Uh, one thing that I can do tell you is that they, they sincerely are looking for diversity. And it's just like, okay, we want it, but how? I mean, like, mm -hmm. and, and it's just been the frustrating thing for them. It's like, we don't know how and we're you're spinning around again, well-intentioned, sometimes effectively, sometimes not, but it's just like, because, you know, they don't have an Irma here. We don't have an Irma. So <laughs> there's a huge need. That's a great opportunity. Uh, and, 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 and 12% of the population, uh, it's Latinx in, in the state of Oregon and mm -hmm. very similar to what Fresno is, you know, agricultural you know, outside of the city of Portland, everything else is rural. Yeah. The, the state is it's, it's rural so yeah. we we definitely need it and i think you know culture wise it's going to be more close to what you're describing i'm definitely i joke but i wouldn't rule it out a hundred percent you're right because everywhere you look in every state in the union there are there are folks that are hurting there are folks who are underrepresented. There are folks who have not been invited to the technology industry. And yeah. so they don't know. In the same way that I didn't know when I was six, seven, eight years old, they don't know what this industry might hold for them. They don't know the radical difference it could create in their lives and in their communities. Mm -hmm. And anywhere we can find those pockets of people, it's on the table that we'll go there too. Well, I invite you and, and I would love to be a bridge because again, you know, the, there's the, the, the two things that we have here is that we do have the, the need from the tech industry. So we have, well, up until now, we had a vibrant tech city that's wanting to, to have that diversity. Like, but how do we do that? That, that, that connection is what we didn't have. Uh, and again, everybody's trying to do the, the little things, but there's no bridge or connecting the dots. So I, I think you guys could be very successful in doing, implementing what you already have in here. It makes perfect sense. I would definitely put it on the board as a possibility. Yes, please do. Please do. And again, you know, I would love to contribute in any way that is possible because it's part of our you you'll, know, personal you'll, mission. You'll be my first call. All right, Irma. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Irma. So what, what, I mean, anything that you guys, uh, any the little that we can help to contribute, we would love to be a part of a Bitwise. You know, let us know if we can distribute information on, on our social media. We, we have quite a large following. Uh, and would love to. I mean, it, it, this is the kind of stories that we definitely want to uh, keep go going and, and telling. I appreciate that so much. And, and likewise, if there's anything I can do in the cities we serve, we'd love to help spread the things that you all are doing. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for, for having me on and, and the time that you shared with me today. Thank you, Irma. Thank you so much. Everybody, please stay safe and we'll see you each other next week. Take care. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.